I might need some water this morning. I'm like a pony. I'm a little horse. My promise of a Hawaii trip for everybody who came out Wednesday night didn't work out so well. So to redeem myself, if you sacrificed your vacation and came this morning, I'm going to make sure you get tomorrow off. <laughs> Privileged to uh, have Rose's mom with me. I made a note to myself, no mother-in-law jokes this morning. Uh, she turned uh, 90 uh, last month, and I also have my Aunt Patty, who's 90. No, that's Joy. I, <laughs> joy doesn't look a day over 50, but... It's a great privilege in life to have a godly heritage. To, uh, we, we have that on Rosa's side, and my children know the great privilege of having a grandparent pray for them daily. And uh, on my side, uh, when I wasn't old enough to fear God, I always feared of uh, displeasing the godliness of my grandmother. So I'm, <clears throat> I'm thankful for a godly heritage. And, this morning, I, I was thinking that sometime this coming week would probably be the first day of uh, me substitute teaching, and I had to go over the uh, fundamentals of what it was like with me uh, substitute. I remind him that I can no longer see or hear, so do your best to behave yourself. I was a sub for Ben back there. One day, I took them all out, and we dug thistles on my land. At least Ben did. I don't think anybody else did, but it's fun. But I've been thinking of the need to uh, review and uh, to go back over the fundamentals. One of the best-selling books probably 20 years ago was All I Ever Needed to Know in Life I Learned in Kindergarten. And uh, just to go back over the fundamentals, perhaps we have a picture of this guy. If it comes up, yeah. That's a picture of Tom Church in kindergarten. Tom said kindergarten was the three best years of his life. <laughs> <They're>, <laughs> two. <laughs> they were hard on a little bald guy who couldn't skip, ate all the crayons, couldn't get along with others, and was restless in nap time. His, Folks sent him off to military school, and the rest is history. <laughs> I appreciate Tom. Do you know the guy's been blown up four times, which probably explains some things. <laughs> but he's a good, good brother in the Lord. Vince Lombardi used to bring these seasoned pro football players together every year, one of the greatest coaches of all time, and hold out and he'd say, men, this is a football. Don't forget the basics. Don't forget the fundamentals. Paul, known as one of the greatest preachers of all time, would tell all his audience and those he was coming to, I remind you, I will preach Jesus Christ and him crucified. And he never got over the need to preach that message. I think probably the greatest fundamental chapter in all the Word of God is John chapter 3. And if I could only hand out one chapter to everybody, I think I would choose John chapter 3. And here we have Jesus bringing out the fundamentals to a religious man who probably thought he knew everything, 
but he didn't know the truth of the fundamentals. Let's read together John chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs that you were doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. How can a man be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, unless a man is born of water, even the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at me saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be, Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things. I tell you the truth. We speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting or eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Nicodemus, I believe, was a sincere seeker, perhaps from fear of the Jews and what they would do to him if he was caught with Jesus. But he, but he came seeking truth as a very religious man, even one of the top of the Sanhedrin and yet he didn't know the fundamentals of truth. And sometimes we uh, change the subject. Sometimes Rose will ask me if I've done such and such, and I'll say, your hair looks really nice today, and try to change the subject. But that's not what Jesus was doing here. He immediately said, Nicodemus, we don't need to talk about religion today. I've heard that if you have two Jews, you need three synagogues because all they want to do is argue and try to convince one another that one knows more than the other. When I was in Jerusalem at 3 o'clock in the morning at the Wailing Wall, all you heard is these different Jewish sects yelling out at one another and, and fighting over religion and who was the best and who had the proper clothing. Jesus says, Nicodemus, we don't need any of that. You need one thing. Truly, truly, sincerely, you need to know that you must be born again. Nicodemus, do you have a spiritual birthday? Do you know that not only were you born physically, but there must be a point in time in your life where you're born spiritually? We used to sing, 
Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Only one will not do. Born again means salvation. How many have you? You must have two birthdays, a physical one and a spiritual one. If you only have a physical birthday, you'll die twice. Die physically and die spiritually, separated from God forever. But if you have a spiritual birthday, you're born again. You're born physically and spiritually, and you only die once physically. And when you die, you'll be with the Lord forever. I was uh, helping out at a wilderness camp uh, Turkey Hill Camp, we float down the current river for a week, and you know your responsibility is share the good news with the gospel with uh, the camper in your uh, canoe. And the very first day for eight hours, the, the young man in front of my canoe, as we talked and got to know one another, I said, uh, how long have you been a Christian? He said, well, I've been a Christian my whole life. And the lights and the red flags go up, I said, so you're one of those guys who've, who've never had a, a birthday? He said, oh yeah, I, I was born. He told me his birthday. And I said, well, you need to have a spiritual birthday. And if you think you've always been a Christian, I know that you probably aren't because you've never been born again. And I shared the gospel and, and went through of his need to put his trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and to receive him as Savior. And for seven hours, I just kept going over the gospel with this guy and reminding him that he wasn't always a Christian, that he, he needed to put his trust in Christ in that canoe that day. I said, ask me if I'm married. And he said, okay, are you married? And I said, I've always been married. I've been married my whole life. And I said, there's no way anybody's married their whole life. I said I do, and she said she did. On May 24th, 1980, they pronounced us husband and wife, and I know I'm married because of our wedding day. And just like you need to have that to be married, you need to be born again to have a spiritual birthday. It's quiet in the canoe the, the rest of the time, and we parked for the night and set up our tents and had a campfire, and uh, this man, this young camper got up and and I go oh no what's he gonna say and he said uh, I came to this camp thinking I was a Christian and I realized I wasn't when Mr. Hammond told me I wasn't and uh, he said I put my trust in Jesus Christ for the first time in in the front of this canoe today and now I realize that I wasn't a Christian but now I am uh, praise God for the message of the truth God tells Nicodemus that uh, he needed to understand the truth. And he, and he said, you mean you're a teacher of religion and you don't understand the truth? Nicodemus should have known this verse in Ezekiel chapter 36, where God is talking about what he'll do. Ezekiel 36 and uh, verse 36. God talks about, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you, and I will remove your heart, remove from your, your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh, a promise to the nations that God would give them a new start in life and he would come into their lives. 
God told Jeremiah to go down to the potter's house and he would observe that the clay on the potter's wheel was marred. And he said, watch the potter. He'll take that marred clay and he'll make it again into a new creation. And God tells all of us that because of sin, we're all marred and we all need to be made anew. We all need a spiritual birthday. I remember B.F. Skinner, uh, a lot of 90s today. On his 90th birthday, he was interviewed in Time magazine, a renowned psychologist. He said, I've given my whole life to the study of psychology and the study of mankind. And he said, if I was honest, psychology has failed and I have failed. For somehow, I've never figured out how to change the human heart. Oh, if there was only a way that someone could change the human heart. God is telling Jesus Christ, I can change the human heart. I can give you a new heart. He doesn't change our old one. He just gives us a new one. We are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. We're all born sinners. We're all born marred. We're all born separated from God in our sin. And unless we come to God asking us, Him to save us, will be lost forever. The new birth is God comes and lives inside of us, forgives our sins and makes us anew. Religion is always you trying to get better. Do this, this, and this, and change yourself. All religions are based on that. This is what you do to get to God. Christianity is the only one that's different, says you can't change yourself. The leopard can't change his spots. You need to surrender your life to God. You need to acknowledge that you're a sinner. Turn from that sin and trust the Lord Jesus Christ. If you were to ask me to write Shakespeare this morning, I might have to remind you that I barely passed English. I struggled like Tom did in kindergarten. But if, if someday miraculous Shakespeare could come and live inside of me, I could write Shakespeare because it wouldn't be me, it would be Shakespeare living inside of me. That happened to me at the age of 17, that God himself came and lived inside of me. In verse 8, he tells Nicodemus, the wind blows wherever it pleases, you hear it, but you cannot tell where it comes from and where it is going. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. You can't see the wind, but you know, and there's evidence of a changed life. I like how many of the epistles start, Paul's letter. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Paul, an apostle? You mean Saul, the one who hated Christians, the one who hated Jesus Christ, the one who, who held the garments of the men who stoned Stephen to death? Paul, that Paul? an apostle of Jesus Christ? You could stop the reading for there, from there. There's the evidence of a changed life, the new birth wrought in Paul's life. The woman at the well is the one going all through Samaria saying, come and meet Jesus Christ. He's my Savior. The one who hid out at noon because she didn't want to be found, who, who'd made a mess of her life trying to find satisfaction in the world with six husbands, five husbands, 
and uh, the one she was now with wasn't her husband. Women, men won't satisfy either. This woman tried six different men, and yet that day at the well she met the seventh man, the perfect man, the Lord Jesus. And there's what the water was in John 3. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. Sometimes people, every time they see water, they think of baptism. It's not true. It's, it's the washing of the water of the word. It's the cleansing effect of the Lord Jesus and the Holy Spirit. I had a, a good friend I was doing Bible study with, and he said, David, we, we need to go golfing together. And I said, I, I, I would love to go golfing, but I have seven children and we're, we're dirt poor. Rose has the kids out in the neighborhood today collecting their ketchup bottles and she puts water and flour and we have tomato soup and next weekend is homecoming. All the kids will go out and get the toilet paper out of the trees and we'll have toilet paper for a while at home. I'm just too poor to go golfing. And he said, listen, next Thursday you can go golfing with me at Sugar Creek and Waukee. They have a special for $5. I said, okay. I'll use Rose's Christmas money and go golfing for $5. And I get there, and here's this line forever. And I start walking up, and I think, I'm never going to go golf, get golfing. And here's a guy in a business suit. And I think he saw me try to sneak in the line. And he was right. I was going to try. And uh, he said, are you with our church tonight? And I said, looking at that line, yes, I am. And he said, well, I'd have to baptize you first. And I said, is that to get to heaven or to become a member of your church? And he said, both. You must do both. And I, I looked at him again. And I said, do you mean to tell me you took this man's name? And uh, he was willing to forsake his life and to die because he believed that the scripture says that salvation is faith alone in Jesus Christ plus nothing. You don't need to be baptized. Baptism is a wonderful thing. It's obedience to Christ telling the world that what took place in your heart, trusting Christ, you want them to know. But don't ever add anything to the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. It's Jesus Christ plus nothing. He paid it all, and we need to put our trust in him. Think of the man from the gathering tombs. Everybody was afraid of this man. He was demon-possessed and naked, running out in the tombs. And if you wanted a thrill, go out and see this crazy man. And here he was, walking among, clothed and in his right mind, telling others about Jesus, the evidence of a changed life. Mary Magdalene, described as a woman who had seven demons in her life, she came to Christ and is known as one of the greatest worshipers of God in all the Word of God. Her life transformed. Romans says that uh, you'll be transformed through the Lord Jesus Christ. Zacchaeus, a tax collector, despised and would rob people of their money and change the rules to get more money. Jesus comes to his house and Zacchaeus puts his trust and the Lord Jesus Christ is the Savior. He repents of his sin, and his life is changed. And he said, I'll give half of my possessions to the poor, and everybody that I've robbed, I'll give back fourfold. His life was changed, the evidence of someone who was born again. The disciples were 
in the upper room for fear of the Jews and ready to, to run as they ran from the Lord Jesus that night. They all forsook him. And there in, in the upper room, you could have called, they were so chicken, you could have called it a hen house. And yet the Spirit of God comes upon that place and their lives have changed and they go out boldly for the Lord. It's happened to you and it's happened to me. I remember my dad, I, they, he worked at the uh, uh, soybean plant in Redfield and in uh, the 60s and they would cash everybody's check at the uh, bar and a lot of those guys would spend a lot of their paycheck and they would come home drunk and that was often true of my my dad and I saw him drunk on Friday night and uh, Sunday the, the one of the uh, elders who was supposed to be speaking at church that Sunday never showed up and he was with my dad and they went on a a little motor scooter ride and they went through the horse arena and my dad tipped his over in the mud and threw it down and came up cussing and throwing a little fit and this guy said uh, lucky I think they started calling him lucky after I was born Tom but they called him lucky said have you ever gotten tired of your life uh, apart from the Lord and after 50 some years of my his life my dad said I've, I've been bitter and hated God all my life. He had a horrible father himself. And uh, he said, my hatred for God has not gotten me anywhere. I've been miserable and a bitter man. And he said, I I'm ready to give my life to the Lord. Tell me what to do. And this man explained the gospel. And my dad knelt in the mud and uh, surrendered his life there and met us at the door and said he'd become a Christian. I, I never saw my dad drink again. It's like I had two fathers, two different fathers, one in the flesh and one now born again. My dad used to punish us by saying, you're not going to church this Sunday. He hated church. He hated Christians. And yet, now you couldn't have stopped my dad from going to church. He's now reading the Bible. His language has changed. He was newborn in Christ. Millions of testimonies just happened to uh, turn the TV on last night and Pacific Garden Missions were on. Here's all these stories of these men and women from the guttermost to the uttermost as their lives have been changed by Jesus Christ. One year at uh, Visha, all the Christian ministries got together and they ordered all these bright neon t-shirts that simply said in bold letters, letters, another life changed by Jesus Christ. And everywhere you went at Visha, you saw these bright t-shirts, a testimony to what the Lord had done in their lives. Disney has tried to, tried to imitate that. The story of Cinderella, here she is in rags and uh, the housemaid treated unfairly. And then with a bippity boppity boo, she's transformed into this beautiful princess. God doesn't bippity boppity boo, but by the power of his grace and might, he immediately changes us. Beauty and the beast, the beast with one act becomes a, a handsome, gentle prince. You think in, in the physical laws of nature, a cocoon, a cocoon, a dried up, shriveled up thing on a plant, and all of a sudden it opens and out flies a beautiful butterfly. God reminds us of the new birth. 
I remember my uh, married day, the day before I saw Rose with her good friend Beth Cavanus, always working, helping with the chores, and I went out there, and here's Rose in her bib overalls and straw hat and uh, rubber boots scooping the, the manure, and she stunk and everything, and her hair and all that, and then the day when I'm in front, and here she comes down the aisle as the bride adorned for her husband. She was transformed. Couldn't believe how beautiful she, she was and she looked, and when she got closer, she even smelt a lot better than, than normal. God says, that's what I do with you in, in the new birth. Now, I don't know what happened to Jacob at his wedding when he lifted up the veils to see his beautiful bride, and it wasn't Rachel, but lazy-eyed Leah. That had to be a shock, but for me, I, I got more than I deserved. Listen to or read, if it comes, comes up, a few of the things that happened to you immediately in the new birth. You become a child of God. Do you know that we were all born into this world a, a child of the devil? You are of your father the devil, the Lord Jesus would tell even the religious Pharisees. Immediately you become a child of God. Your sins are forgiven and paid in full. When you say, Jesus, I trust you as my Savior, immediately all your sin is, is transferred to him and you have no debt of sin. The condemnation is removed. Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Your debt has been paid in full by the Lord Jesus Christ. God comes into your life permanently. Can you imagine that? The eternal, all-powerful God is in my life. And if you know Christ as your Savior and you've been born again, He's in your life. And Ephesians 1 says you've been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. You belong to God forever. You're a possessor of eternal life immediately. Not that you'll get it in the future, but he who has the Son has eternal life. You are immediately an heir and a joint heir of Jesus Christ. Everything that he has, he gives to you. You've not only been born into as a family, but you've been adopted into his family with all the rights and privileges that Jesus has. You've now been placed into the family of God. You're in a member of the body of Christ. You can now call everybody in all the world that's a fellow believer your brother and sister in Christ. We're in his family. You're immediately a member of the church. Not only the, the local church, but the universal church. We're all one in Christ. If you have a label, uh, you don't need a label. You just need to be a member of his church when you're born again. When you're born again, you're immediately given a spiritual gift from God to edify and build up the other believers. At that very second, you're given that spiritual gift. You become the bride of Christ immediately. Your, your countenance has been changed. And someday, Jesus will stand before God the Father and he, He'll look at me and you and He'll say, Father, I present to you my bride and will be adorned in all the heavenly garments. And what a day of rejoicing that will be to be the bride of Christ for, forever. That's already true of us today. 
but we'll get our heavenly garments someday soon. We've immediately been transferred from darkness into light. We're seated in the heavenlies, Paul tells us in Ephesians. You become heavenly rather than earthly. You're no longer a natural person, but you're a spiritual person born from above. You immediately receive the fruit of the Spirit. It's not that my flesh can do many of those things, and yet by the Spirit of God, I can. I couldn't obey the Beatitudes, love your enemies, do good to those who persecute you. If they strike you on one side, turn the other cheek. We're probably not too good at that in our flesh. But you can cry out to God, I can't, but you can, Lord, and he will, because he's God. It says you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Do you know that the power of the resurrection lives inside of us? Paul would pray to us, I, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so you may know what is the hope of his calling, the riches of the glory of his inheritance of the saints, and the surpassing greatness of his power that is in those who believe. Paul was praying for us. Oh, if you knew how much power you possessed, you'd live a different life. We immediately are given spiritual armor to fight against the devil before we had no power against him. We have access to agape love. We have an intercessor who stands before God the Father in the Lord Jesus Christ. We have the promise of someday an incorruptible body. Over and over, you could, you could just go over hundreds of things that happened to you immediately when you were born again, born from above, having God himself come and live inside of you. It seems too good to be true. Most of the time when, they, when the world offers you something, it's too good to be true. But with Jesus, it isn't. It is true. Last night, I, I oftentimes, since I can't sing very well, will go to YouTube and listen to some hymns, and right away it said, your grace still amazes me. I fall down on my knees because your grace still amazes me. Paul would be writing some of these things out and he would stop and he would just praise God. I can't believe that you've did all that for me. We ought to do the same thing in our life. Cry out to God for all he's done. And then he, then he goes on to say in this chapter that as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness in verse 14, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. You know, God never tires of reminding us of pictures of His Son. In Numbers 21, the people had rebelled against God. They were, they were lost and murmuring. And God sent serpents and they poisoned them, snakes, and uh, they, they were dying in their sin. And God in His mercy and His grace told Moses to put a brazen serpent, the curse that was killing the people, up. And everybody who looked at the serpent would live and their lives would be restored. And God said, the Son of Man must be lifted up. Before we could be born again, the Son of Man, the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, must become a curse for us. Just like looking at the serpent, 
When we look to the Lamb of God, our sins are taken away. They're paid in full. But the, co the cost was great. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He who knew no sin became sin for us. I knew my big ear wasn't going to hold that. Can you imagine that? The holy, holy, holy God becoming sin for us. The one who dwelled in inapproachable life is now in darkness. The one who'd never sinned or ever thought of sin was pure in all of his capacities and all of his life is now the curse. The one who would bear all of, all of my sin and your sin. God was now his judge. God would say to his son, Jesus, you've committed every sin. You're an adulterer. You're a fornicator. You're, you're every heinous sin you could ever think of. And Jesus would say, it is true. I'm guilty. And he bore the wrath of God on the cross for me and for you. Somebody said he could have called 10,000 angels, destroyed the world, and yet he hung there. All the time in his life, the Holy Spirit was always with him. They were one. Always God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. This is my Father. This is my beloved Son. And the Holy Spirit always tells us all to worship God the Father, and God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But he died alone. And for those three and a half hours of darkness, he was separated from God because he wanted to bear our sin. 1 Peter 2.24 says, He himself bore our sin on the body on the cross. 3.18 says, For Christ also died for sins once and for all, the just Jesus Christ who never sinned for the unjust, for me and you, who are guilty of sin. He died for us. And just like if you, if you did everything in the world trying to get rid of that poison of that serpent, nothing would work except you looked to the brazen serpent as God commanded you, you were immediately healed. Thousands and millions of people are trying everything to get rid of their sin. They go to church, they, they try to live a better life. They try to do this and they try to do that. And it'll all fall short. All of sin and fall short of the glory of God. But you turn from your sin and you look to the Lamb of God and you say, I'm a sinner. I've fallen short. I cannot save myself. I need a Savior. Immediately, He'll come into your heart and He'll be your Savior. When Jesus cried out, it is finished. His sin was paid in full. And then he goes on to these, probably the most, well, I think I, looking to the Lamb of God, I think of that day at Calvary. And there were three men who I think were born again that day. I think perhaps many others. But one of them, you know, they, they took the Lord Jesus in a mock trial and they accused him of all kinds of things he never did. And then out of hatred towards him and, and led by Satan, 
they began to take their fists, the strong soldiers, and they beat his face beyond recognition, and they walked by, and they spit in his face, and as Isaiah says that his face was marred more than any man, and then they, they beat him with bones and a whip, and they opened his back. It looked like a plowed field, and then, then they took a crown of thorns and they beat it down on his head and the thorns beat and the blood was pouring down his face beyond recognition. And then they told him to bear the cross and, he, and he, was, he, he was so weak from all the beatings that he couldn't. And they grabbed a man who, a religious man who was there for the Passover, Simon of Cyrene, and they said, you bear his cross. And as Simon Cyrene walked up to Calvary with the Lord Jesus. He observed and he listened to this man and he forgot about his religion and he put his trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul mentions Simon of Cyrene. He says, uh, the, the father of Rufus and Alexander and their whole family's life was changed, not from religion, but as he watched the Lord Jesus that day, he put his trust in him. And then we all know the story of, of the thief on the cross. This wasn't a good man, a, a church-going man. This was a man dying for his crime. He'd made some wrong choices in his life, and now he was dying as a thief. And I always think that this man perhaps had a praying mother or grandmother. Can you imagine his mother seeing their son die on the cross and said, what a, my son made the wrong choices and now he's dying. There's no hope for him. Normally there wouldn't have been, but he was dying next to the only person who could save him. And he turned to the Lord Jesus and he said, I'm a sinner, but, but you're not. Lord, you're the Savior. You're the Messiah. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And the Lord Jesus did remember him. Yeah, I should have asked Scott in the beginning. <laughs> Sorry about that. Guaranteed. But the thief is a perfect picture of all you need to do is put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and you can know that you have eternal life. And then at the end when, when Jesus had said it is finished, I've paid it in full, it says he gave up the ghost and said, Father, into thy hands I commend thy spirit. And the... Uh, Centurion went up to him and looked at him and it had been at the foot of the cross the whole time and he said these words, uh, this man truly was the son of God. I think that man truly by beholding the Lord Jesus Christ put his trust in him. And then uh, every day I'm out, I always have the John 3.16 text with me. Uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I was privileged to do that uh, many times uh, this week. One, one day uh, in an outreach I was in Wauwatosa, Wisconsin and they were given street maps to, to each group of guys to go out and I got mine and I prayed that it would be fruitful and as I walked up in this neighborhood I, I, I saw all these uh, 
million dollar mansions. And I said, oh Lord, I'm in, I'm in the wrong neighborhood. Uh, the rich don't have time for you. And the Bible even says it's hard for the rich to come to Christ, but there's a lot of rich people who do put their trust in Christ. And I, I quickly uh, prayed, God, I, I pray that there would be some rich person who'd bow their heart and put their trust in you. And I knocked on this beautiful door and the door opened and here is this 18-year-old teenage girl comes to the door and I, I said, we're, we're just in your neighborhood because we want everybody in this neighborhood to know for sure they're going to heaven. Would you say you know for sure you're going to heaven? And she says, no, no, I don't, but I, I really would like to. How do I get to heaven? And we had the John 3.16 text with her, and uh, we read it, and she just keeps looking at that. And I said, do you know anybody that Jesus died for? And she says, it says she, he died for, for those in the world. I said, do you know anybody any closer to that? And she says, what do you mean? And I said, did you know that you that Jesus died for you, April? And she says, I, I, I've not understood that. And I said, you know, you can put your name in that verse. For God so loved April that he gave his only begotten son that if April would put her trust in him, she would not perish but have everlasting life. Do you know that you can put your trust in Jesus right now at the store and you could know that you have eternal life? You can't save yourself. You need a savior. She says, that's what I would like to do. And she was just longing to hear those words. And she did. And I think I'll see April in heaven. That verse says, God, the greatest lover, so loved to the greatest degree, the world, the greatest company, that he gave the greatest act, his only son, the greatest gift, that whosoever the greatest opportunity believe the greatest simplicity in him the greatest attraction should not perish the greatest promise but the greatest difference have the greatest certainty everlasting life the greatest possession I want to ask you like Jesus did to Nicodemus have you been born again? Have you been born again? It's a personal, pertinent question that God asks everybody. Have you gotten new life from the Lord Jesus Christ? It seems like in, in, in a church that preaches the gospel that everybody would understand and everybody would have done that in their life. But it's probably true that every local church probably has somebody who believes it here, but not in their heart. I, I like sharing the gospel, and it's probably been 10 or 15 years ago that uh, I went north, and I went to Yale and Bagley and J Jamaica to every house, and then I came to Panora. And one day on this side of the town, I knocked on the door, and a person came to the door, and and uh, I shared some things, and he says, well, well come on in. I'll, I'll give you a few minutes, and I'll listen. So I went in, and, and I said, I'd like to ask people a question. If you were to stand before God, and he were to ask you, why should I let you into heaven? What do you think you'd say to him? 
And he said, well, I'm a, I'm a member of Faith Bible Church, and uh, I think I've lived a good enough life to get to heaven. And I went through the gospel, and I shared all our good works is, isn't enough. You can't save yourself, and you can't get to heaven just because you're a member of Faith Bible Church or any church. You need Jesus as your Savior. And I told him to put his trust in Jesus and turn from his church membership and thinking he could save himself and put his trust in Jesus. And I hope he did. I hope it's not in your head, but it's in your heart that you would put your trust in Jesus Christ. That you would know for sure as you leave here today that Jesus is your Savior and he's paid the debt and all these things that are wonderfully true are true of you. You must be born again. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for so great a Savior. Nobody else would ever leave the glories of heaven, become a curse for us, the sin bearer, and pay our penalty in full and offer us eternal life. No one else could ever give us a new heart and a new nature. And the eternal God could live and dwell in us. I thank you for my brothers and sisters here. And I pray if there's anybody here who's never put their trust in you, I pray they do it right now. As an act of faith, just simply say, Lord, I, I know I'm a sinner. I acknowledge that I cannot save myself. Thank you for loving me and dying on the cross for my sin. And right now, by faith, I put my trust in you and I receive the free gift of salvation that I'm not worthy of. I trust in you. And we would welcome them into the family of God and as a brother and sister in Christ. May it be so, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.